If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Mean O-Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra, Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. Especially when you're in investor meetings, right? They're, they're, they're usually the ones who say that the most. They're like, but it's another brand. And, you know, and I'm like, but you have 15 different thousand brands for bread and you didn't complain not once. Like, exactly. What, what are you talking about? And we're much more variable than bread. So I'm trying to figure out what we're having a problem with right now. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Dr. Natalie King, founder of parent company Bloom Beauty and soon to launch hair wellness brand Flora. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and your ratings and reviews mean so much to us. Leave a five-star rating and a review. All right, everyone. Dr. Natalie King founded Flora, a hair wellness brand for women with textured hair during the pandemic. Set to launch later this year, Flora Beauty is a tech-driven, personalizable brand that aims to build confidence in women and creates all natural beauty products. But wait a second. There's so much more. Dr. Natalie King has a PhD in neuroscience, is a medical science liaison, associate director in neuroscience, neurology, and the medical landscape for three central U.S. states. She is a double licensed emergency medical technician and graces the aisles of Walgreens, CVS, Target, Walmart, and other retailers with her print and product work. Dr. King, welcome to Business of the Beat. I am so happy to have you here today. There's so much to talk about and your background alone, I can't even wait, but welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Kendra. First of all, thank you for inviting me. This is such a a cool podcast. I've listened to it multiple times over the years and I just feel like, (laughs) wow, to be on your podcast. I appreciate it. I do. Thank you. As soon as we met, I was just like, this woman is phenomenal. So I just want to say this again, because it is just, it's amazing. So you went on to complete, and you're going to tell us everything before this, but this is the part that I think is just amazing and fantastic on top of everything else that you've done. So you went on to complete your PhD. So this is after your bachelor's degree in biology, a PhD in neuroscience from the University of Illinois at Chicago at the age of 26, one of the youngest and first Afro-Latinas to receive this degree in their 161-year-old history. I literally, like, 
I tear up, I get chills. It is phenomenal. When we think about where we are now, the conversations that have been happening, and to be 26 and to create something so phenomenal in neuroscience, you know what I mean? (laughs) Neuroscience, all the things. So I have just been waiting for this. We've never had a neuroscientist on the podcast. You are our first. So this is (laughs) We've had amazing chemists. We've had all kinds of just phenomenal people. But I want to understand. I mean, you're double licensed. You PhDs. You're on boards. You you've created nonprofits. So so tell us everything. Like, how did you have this desire to do neuroscience? What was your childhood like? Like, what are your dreams <laughs> like? It's super super smart. <laughs> tell us everything, right? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, so first of all, thank you for that. I mean, so most days I don't even think about it. It's it's amazing just like the the journey that my life has been. I can't say a lot of it was always planned. I think sometimes when it comes to opportunity, the way I live my life anyway, like when it comes to opportunity, I like to consider, you know, how I can bring my own at, at value to that, but also I, I tend to wear my generation on my sleeve. Like I, I wear it as a badge of honor. And I, I looked at that opportunity to get that PhD as a way to uplift us as a people, right? So it, it actually went well beyond just me and me getting that degree. It was more like, how can I push us as a community forward? Um, I always tell the story because people are like, well, did you know you were going to go off and do grad school? I actually didn't have a plan after, after my bachelor's, as random oh. as that's. <laughs> I was like, listen, y'all, I'm going to, I'm going to New York. I'm going to be in fashion. I wanted to do fashion and modeling because I was actually doing a little bit of that on, on undergrad. And my Caribbean parents were like, um, ma'am, <laughs> there are three careers and that is not one of them. <laughs> so, yeah. Like teacher, lawyer, doctor, right? Yes. Um, and um, it was just one of those things where this particular opportunity came to me and they were like, well, we would love to give you a scholarship to be able to help build out this program. So I actually went to grad school completely free. And, wow. mm-hmm. and I always tell people this to, to this day, like there are a lot of opportunities like that because to your point, you know, that whole 161 year history thing, there are a lot of programs out there that are just like that, right? At some of the Ivy League schools and you, you name it that have never had someone, a person of color pass their programs, successfully complete their programs. And so they, they've been creating lots of different programs to, to support students that come from those backgrounds. But really quickly, I kind of mentioned it already. My mom and dad are Caribbean. <laughs> They're from uh, the islands of Jamaica and Cuba. And that, I would say that was the undertone of my, like my upbringing, right? Like very focused on education, very focused on you know, having some version of a plan for your life. And it wasn't like, are you going to school? It's like, so which school are you going to? <laughs> you know, that, that kind of combo. And it was just, I don't know, neuro sparked my interest, particularly because of just how disproportionately affected we are in our communities to some of these neurological conditions, like depression, autism, you think of, you name it, we're probably disproportionately affected, right? Um, and so there's always been this sort of general underlying health equity line that kind of runs through my life. And you'll see a lot of that in my brand too. So, um, I don't know, just focus on education, um, and, and got to grad school and still decided I was going to do all these other things. Apparently I thought adding founder to that list was appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, absolutely appropriate. (laughs) So there's a few things that you, that you mentioned, and I want to really dive into how this kind of transitions you into your brand. Yeah. 
But I love this notion of wearing your generation on your sleeve Mm -hmm. Um, and how, as you were talking, it's just mind boggling to me that they never had a person of color complete the program. Why? Why is that? And when you think about this wearing your generation on your sleeve, like what does it take to change that generationally? Yeah. So, so some of it is a personal responsibility thing. So I think there's a there's a personal responsibility that you have as a person of color or as a, a woman, you know, woman of color, where you feel like it's important for you to always consider ge- the generation and whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, so that was just there's a personal side of that, and then there's the collective side of that. Like, how do we as a people feel that whatever it is we're getting involved in, we're taking our entire gr- our entire community into account, right? How do you really own that for yourself? Um, so, so I think there's two different conversations there, but. The idea of getting into grad school is one thing. The idea of staying in grad school and completing is a totally different thing, <laughs> you know, and that's in general, like not just, you know, in, with black and brown, but particularly with black and brown, it can be really hard sometimes to not be a victim of what they would call attrition. So like getting into the program, but not being able to, you know, almost compete while you're in the program and be feel supported while you're in the program, right? Um I went to an HBCU. So I went to an HBCU for my undergrad. And if you've ever been to an HBCU, you know the level of support and extraness that we have <laughs> coming from an HBCU background. <laughs> you know, all your teachers are like invested in you. They're like, oh my God. And, you know, let me help you with your personal statement. They're helping you do all these things. And there's a level of support that comes with going to an institution like that. But if you're not going to, say, for instance, an HBCU for graduate school or medical school, there's a there's a big gap in your understanding of how the support level is supposed to be in those programs. And, you know, you can be left feeling like, well, I don't feel supported here. Or um, you could potentially even face some sort of, you know, overt or covert racism. Like there are different things you can face as a black and brown person going to a grad school or a med school program. Um, and so I think some of that has to be with network building. Like, how do you build out a network for yourself when you are invited to these programs? Like, when you are included in these programs, building a network that you can like bounce ideas off of, that you can share, you know, vent a little bit sometimes, right? Like, talk about your research, <laughs> talk about the woes. Yes, the woes, so to speak, and and the, and the positives too, right? And it's funny that I see that same thing happening even in the founder space, which is why I really love what you're doing with Brain Trust because that's so valuable to have people who get what's going on, you know, who really get what what you're experiencing. Well, and and it's interesting when you talk about HBCU, the transition, because and even Founder Studio, which I'm so excited that you're joining. Thank you. Yes, yes. No, thank yes. you. <laughs> I'm like, so we have some amazing things planned. And when even when you talk about the nurturing, there's so much to be said about community Mm -hmm. and how community from the HBCU perspective really plays into the success and the transition, whether you're transitioning from, you know, school into the workforce or even transitioning into a founder, there's this level of community that when it doesn't exist, you definitely feel missed. Yes. And the connectivity of having that through completion. No, absolutely. And and there's actually, when we think about, you know, black and brown founders succeeding, right? So there's one thing, because we, we all know the stats in terms of like how many businesses are being created by us, right? Mm-hmm. But there's not, like there's a true disconnect between how many are being created and how many are successful and how many are considered, you know, at a level that can be, you know, built to scale, right? And- 
I think that's the disconnect, right? How do we build that community around these founders to be able to help them get to that level? Because we're starting businesses, right? We're starting, we're doing all these things. But but what is that? And I think for me, I noticed that very early in the process because you can definitely just, you'd be like, forget founder life. I'm not doing this. This is not, you know, this is not, I don't want to live my life like this because it can be really hard on some days, right? So I, for me, it was important to create that community for myself early and what that looks like is me reaching out to other founders. So I know you, I know you're going to talk to Troy a little bit later. Troy from Square Skincare, he's bestie. He's hilarious. Oh, that's so uh, funny. You know Troy? Yes. Rand, we have a whole backstory of how we came to know each other. I met him on Clubhouse. We connected off of Clubhouse. I introduced him to some investors. We like, and then we just kind of end up getting each other kind of involved in this world. He helped me to expand my vision. So it it's stuff like that that I'm talking about. Even now to this day, we share documents with each other. You know, like oh this is, this is how you should do it. Don't don't say that. Don't do this. You know what I mean? Like, so I think it's that building of the business part that I don't think we always get supported in. It's that day to day, right? Like, how do you put together your agreements? How do you who should you speak to from a legal perspective to make sure you are protected from the beginning? Like those types of things. You know, not just you know, let's talk to a mentor because you can build out a mentor network too. I think that's important, but it's sometimes those day-to-day things that I think we as um, black and brown founders, we just miss. We just miss in the building of our businesses. You know, I, first of all, you touched on so many things that are my personal pieces (laughs) and that, but that's why we're so connected and that's why we're so aligned because it is, there's mentorship is one piece. Education is another Mm -hmm. piece. And how we share that education. And that's what you said. That was, that, that's been the through line of your life is mm-hmm. education. And right. so when we think about founders, that's where, for me, it was very important that we have this space where we can talk about mentorship, we can talk about education, grounded in community, and then look at different forms of capital as it relates to mm-hmm. where our businesses are and how we are ready to integrate that capital and then sustain right. what the capital has provided us. And being able to share, you know, it's so interesting because there's so many, you know, I've been having so many conversations about the 15% pledge, which has Mm. been great to start the conversation, but our goal is to move beyond that so that we have great brands. There can be multiple, there's multiple brands of everything in the same space. Just because we're black and brown founded doesn't mean that we always, that there's this level of competitiveness or there's, there's this, there's only room for one of you. Like we have to share We've got to. We have to. Who's your contract manufacturer? What legal did you use? What are the terms that you're asking for? Because if we all go in and ask to expand our terms, then the retailers have to say yes, and they have to recognize it, and they have to listen. Listen, I fully subscribe to everything that you said. And I think some people have, you know, they've looked at some of the things that I've done, and they're like, well, why would you do that? They're technically a competitor. And I'm like, listen, there is room for everybody. And at the end of the day, if I don't succeed, she doesn't succeed. If she doesn't succeed, I don't succeed. Like I literally, um, so I, it's funny you mentioned contract manufacturer. That's a particularly interesting space for a brand that's in beauty and um, having to navigate that. And there's a, there was a new brand here and that moved here to town. Um, she's been in the market for a little while, but she needed a connection here locally. And I introduced her to my contract manufacturer. We are literally in the same space right? But at the end of the day, she's further along. She's been in the market. Like, why would I hoard that? I just don't get the purpose of, like, we're not creating the exact same, you know what I'm saying? And in addition to the fact that 
there's an underlying piece of the brand that I'm trying to, to build in terms of personalization. So I've looked at the data, you know, I'm a data person. So I've looked at the data and this idea that, you know, black and brown communities or textured hair communities were a niche. We are not a niche. First of all, we are, we are a majority when it comes to textured hair um, as well as there are trends that kind of show this idea of personalization being more of a factor that's important for us with textured hair, right? So it's not about, oh, there's two curl brands on the shelf. The level of variability within our communities is it, it, like it's there's so much opportunity there. So I really get, I get a little annoyed. This is my soapbox moment. I get a little annoyed. <laughs> When people say that, especially when you're in investor meetings, right? They're, they're they're usually the ones who say that the most. They're like, "But it's another brand," and you know. And I'm like, "But you have 15 different thousand brands for bread, and you didn't complain not once." Like, exactly. What, what are you talking about? And we're much more variable than bread. So I'm trying to figure out what we're having a problem with right now. So you know, I think it's just there's <laughs> a lot to, to to add to that combo. I'll leave it there, but. There's, there's room for all of us. And I think um, we each bring a different perspective and a different thing to the market that I think is valuable, right? So there's no need to hoard. I mean, absolutely. I was at a breakfast with um, a major retailer this morning. And one of the things that we were talking about was this notion of the founder's point of view mm-hmm. and who the founder is, what their personal story is. Right. And so to your point, You may have a product that maybe has a similar concept or maybe Mm -hmm. for curls and we dive into Mm -hmm. the different levels of curls and texture, but each founder, why they're there, their backgrounds, what they believe is different. And when you Mm -hmm. couple that with something, your background is going to drive you to create something around personalization, technology, and science Mm -hmm. that someone who doesn't have your background may not think that way. They may be thinking about it a different way to your Mm -hmm. point. But it was just fascinating when we think about like, that's why I love founders, because Mm -hmm. it really is. It's the perspective and it's the point of view Mm -hmm. and how that dovetails into your brand. And like, even when you talk about, you know, your your parents, Jamaica and Cuba, I mean, that right there is such a different brand Mm -hmm. story than other people can even have a sense of to feed into their why and their purpose. Exactly. And, and, and it's just like this idea around being able to not see us as a monolith, because I think, you know, depending on who the audience is, right? Like if you're talking to the consumer, um, they may have one perspective. If you're talking to um, a fellow founder, they may have one perspective, right? If you're talking to an investor, they definitely have a different perspective, right? And I think the message that I always try to point out is, you know, for the consumer, if one product doesn't work for you, another product within this category could very well work for you because the way they're formulated may be just slightly different, right? And it may be much more valuable for what all the characteristics of your particular curl pattern. So I, you know, I try to focus on what is the message and who is the audience that we're going towards. If it's the investor, you know, it's more like we're not a monolith. Please, you know, I don't want people to feel like just because we're, like you said, the con- the concept is similar or we're in the beauty space, so it's a, it's a curl product that it's essentially this exact same copy and paste of another curl product. That is just not how that works. And that's not how we are as a human race at the genetic level. And I can't speak to that one. <laughs> it's not It's not the case. Perfect. Well, let's talk about at a genetic level and the research and the work that you've done. Mm-hmm. And even we've talked about some of your work around the brain, right? And mm-hmm. human interaction. And yeah. it's funny because I've, I created my company, I named it Brain Trust because I'm fascinated 
by this yeah. notion of one, I love being around smart people. And mm-hmm. what I found in my career is that I also want to be not just connected to, there's a lot of smart people, but people with integrity and people that I trust right. and how the brain works in terms of community. You know, mm-hmm. like I truly believe that we're only going to get there if we all work together and we all work as a brain trust to solve problems and goals. Yeah. And you've done a lot of work around those topics and mm-hmm. science. And mm-hmm. so talk about that work and how it's connected you into your new hair wellness brand. Yeah. So so my background as like from the research side, I really focused a lot on, I guess you'd say more of the the abhorrent sides of, um, I guess you say neuroscience. So I've worked on a lot of mental health conditions um, conditions specifically related to depression, uh, suicide. Um, and then I did my actual thesis work was particularly related to autism. So neurodevelopmental disorders. Um, and, and so there's a lot of, um, I guess it's like discussion that I could have there as far as just how we are from a brain pathology level. You know, there's a lot of, you know, we, we're, we're human. Yes. But there's a lot of differentiation at the biological level, right? So, how do you really um, tend to someone who's sitting right in front of you at the biological level, knowing that they're very, very, very different from you? They may look like you, even within a family, right? There's a lot of <laughs> nuance even within a family. Um, and so I think this particular area of study is always fascinating. It always has been fascinating, but it's still fascinating to this day because we're still learning a lot. You know, there's a genetic side, there's the nature versus nurture conversation, how much of your environment and the people you choose to surround yourself with affects those outcomes, you know, so um, there's a whole field specifically related to epigenetics and how, you know, you, you, you probably heard people say things like, you know, uh, diabetes runs in my family. Um, <laughs> you know, they'll say things like that. So yes, at the genetic level, there is a predisposition to, right, to end up with diabetes. That is at the genetic level. Now, how that actually plays out in real life there's a lot more control in certain circumstances. There's a lot more control that we have in terms of like how we're exercising, how we're, you know, managing our diet, um, how we're managing our stress. Stress is a huge one, right? So I think there's a lot more control that we have over our lives and ourselves that I think people would like to give themselves credit for. And um, this particular area has been really fascinating to me um, when it comes to just life, but then also now building the brand. So really quickly in terms of the brand, some people are like, well, did you start this business or are you starting this business because you hate what you do? (laughs) I'm like, no. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, you know, you know, some people are like, I want to leave my nine to five and I want to like, that is, that is not me. Like that is not my, that is not my testimony. I actually love what I do and I love the people that I work with and all of that. So I'm not running necessarily from anything, the reason why I built the brand has a huge un- underlying neuroscience approach, right? Like I had my own experience with my hair, but, you know, trying to learn its textures, trying to learn all these things and creative products for myself in the kitchen. But while people can see the visible changes over the last four years with my hair, what they don't necessarily realize is there was a huge underlying like growth in my confidence and growth in the like the more neuroscience aspects of my being, right? Um, and I think that's huge to note with um, with brands like ours. It's not about just giving a product. It's about how do you really make someone feel um, more confident in themselves and more confident in how they show up in the world. 
And so that's really the huge under. Sorry, that was a really roundabout way of saying. <laughs> no, that was a perfect way of saying, an absolute perfect way of saying. Yeah, because I mean, there's there's a huge. I mean, there's there's so much to unpack here, right? There's the there's the identity piece. There's the specific historical context that Black and Brown communities have been faced when it comes to hair and hair wellness over the years. Um, our hair has been so closely tied to things like civil rights. <laughs> I mean, for crying out loud. Um, and things like the Crown Act, you know, I've been getting a lot more involved in, in talking and, and learning more about the Crown Act recently because of the fact that it's, a, it's an amazing piece of legislation. It's a, around hair discrimination in the workplace, et cetera. But it's still only passed in 14 states. <laughs> so, you know, it's those types of things, right? Like, and how does that affect a person's well-being overall? If you know you're showing up to work, doing your best. But at the end of the day, you could be discriminated against simply by just being yourself. Yes. That's a problem. <laughs> There's so much to unpack on, on the Crown Act in general. Yeah. And everything that you said, it's so funny because I was with one of the creators of it last night and mm. um, I'm actually going to have her on the show. And it's just like, we've come so far. So we congratulate ourselves on, on even just right. getting past Right. But it's like, we're still trying to get it passed. We're not I even in. Know. It is just, it's it's mind boggling. And I'm so glad that you're getting involved because, and you said it in terms of like how someone feels and the way that they look and like mm -hmm. having growth confidence and like mm -hmm. so much of that stems from our hair. And even when you talk about the historical nature of our hair mm -hmm. and the history and the repression around it. And, you know, it's so connected you said you were, you were in your kitchen, you were making things, you're a neuro neuroscientist. So that that's quite different than, you know, those of us that try, I'm like a little tinker on that. You know, a little DIY here, a little DIY there. <laughs> yeah, it's like, mm. And your personal experience with your own hair, you know, mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating. There's so many people that are like, oh, I tried this and now I want to go live and now I want to have mm -hmm. this brand. You just said three years and people saw you over the course of three years of mm -hmm. tinkering. And now you're at, you're really at the cusp of launching. Mm -hmm. Talk about like your own hair experience, yeah. the science that was the connecting point for Flora. Yeah, no, that's a big one. I mean, I think coming from the background of a scientist, one, we're just naturally skeptical. That's just how we are. So we'll always make statements like, this is going to do this, this, and this, but just in case, you know, like that, that's us. <laughs> yeah. The disclaimer at the bottom. The disclaimer, always a disclaimer. Um, but I think the, the, I would say the underlying part of that was just the fact that I wanted to make sure I was bringing something that was going to work. Right. I don't like to support things that I don't believe in. It also took me quite a bit of time to make sure that I was putting together formulas that I actually used you know, as opposed to, so like, you know, and th this is neither, this isn't an indictment or anything like that, but different brands choose to do different routes, right? Um, many brands will definitely do things like um, they consider it white labeling where they'll work with a contract manufacturer or some other private legal label organization. And what took me so long was one, wanting to make sure that it actually worked in my hair and I saw improvement. Um, so I was almost like my own N of one in a clinical trial. <laughs> and and then, and I would, of course, work with my community too. And then um, what also took me longer was the fact that we did all custom formulas. So we didn't, like I said, we didn't pull anything off the shelf. It was based on the actual ingredients and things that I actually used. 
Um, so that took more time. It took more capital, quite frankly. And um, that to me, that was important because, like I said, I don't like to support anything that I don't really believe in. Um, and so that's kind of going to be to be that's going to be the mainstay of our brand. You know, it's it takes longer. The product development cycle may be a little bit tougher because <laughs> you, now you're trying to like pull things from nature and make it a thing um, in the in the lab. But you know that's fine with me because I, I I prefer to have a product that is going to be effective and and do and at least try to do what it's going to say it say it's going to do. I think that it's important because we were. Um... We were with someone uh, in the space of manufacturing, having this conversation about ownership and IP mm. and how important it is for some. And especially you also mentioned capital, which we'll get into yeah. as founders are trying to get to market so quickly, they are sometimes bypassing this need to own their formulas. Yeah. And yeah. whenever yeah. you go to sell, there's this notion of you, you still, you need to, that's your IP. That's, that's exactly. kind of what you're exactly. selling. And so this is fantastic because on February 15th, 2020 at 10 AM, you took complete ownership of all of your custom hair formulas. Congratulations. I absolutely love this. You said invoices paid IP agreement signed and a natural hair formulation diploma obtained. And so as you were answering and talking about that, it's just fantastic because it does, it takes more time and it takes capital. And every founder is chasing down time to launch, time to make improvements, time to get more product. And they're also chasing capital. Two of the things that you touched upon are so important to make sure that you will have the long-term sustainability, taking us back to how we started this conversation for your brand. So even when you think about the increase in capital that you had to leverage to do that, you did it right. What was that experience like, especially mentally, right? You're taking more time, you're using more capital and you're trying to decide if there are shortcuts that could be taken, I would imagine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have so much to say about this particular part. At the end of the day, yes, the idea around IP, and it's kind of going back to what I was saying a minute ago about making sure black and brown founders really understand these little nuanced details, right? Because like you said, if there's a long-term goal or long-term vision for where you want the brand to be, if that's acquisition, whatever it is, like you want to make sure that you do own the, all the aspects of your business. Um, so that was very important for me to take that moment to do that. And um, like you said, the capital, that the additional capital in time, quite frankly, almost drove me crazy, <laughs> if I can just be honest. Um, because so let me fast forward, like rewind a little bit. In 2020, that's when I just formed the, actually technically just formed the business um, legally. And I, within four or five months was like, you know, it was a pandemic. Now let me go ahead and apply for this grant program. We have a local grant program here in St. Louis called the Arch Grants. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to get it, but I may as well just try. Now, at the very least, I'll get some great feedback and I can figure it out how to do it next year. And ended up winning that, <laughs> becoming a part, of the, yay, a part of the 2020 cohort. I was like, do they know they just gave me like <laughs> money? <laughs> like for real, for real? Um, <laughs> listen, it was funny. And so I think we, when you talk about the timeline, right? Like the timing, because they knew I hadn't launched, right? And to me, I kept telling them, I was totally naive. I kept telling them, oh, we're going to launch soon. You know, we're just making sure we can find a chemist. 
I didn't understand at all how long that process would take. That took almost a year, you know what I mean? Like to find a really good one. And especially in the middle of a pandemic and the mental part of that was just like, okay, these people think I'm lying. They're like, when are you going to launch this? When are you launching this company? Like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> because on the other side of it too, I'm educating them. I was like one of their first beauty brands. And so they were really unaware of the space and the time and the capital and the connections, quite frankly, that it took to like build this type of company. So now another brand has launched, you know, is a part of their cohort this year and they get it now. But at the time it was like, all right, girlfriend. So when are we launching this brand? <laughs> What's up? Like uh, still checking on you. Just checking. <laughs> Listen, we just, we just trying to check in. Um, and then to the, the next phase of the whole idea around capital raising. So this is where Troy comes in because we, we had, we were always having these debates about whether or not, it was necessary to, re- to raise capital. Of course, everybody chooses what's best for them. But one of the direct correlations we were seeing, especially when it comes to being in this community, is like, if you don't come out here with some level of capital, you're swallowed. Like, no, you're like a blip. You're like, okay, who, you did what? And, and it's not to say that because you raise capital, you will be successful. It's just gives, it gives you an opportunity to, to compete, Right. How do you compete in a crowded space? How do you, you know? So, you know, we had this discussion and we, 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 we both said we, we do need to raise capital. And if we want to be able to be disruptive, it's not about just launching a brand. Like, how do you really disrupt an industry? You do have to raise some capital. And so for me, it created a challenge because I am pre-launch, obviously. <laughs> They're like, wait, do you have any market data? How do you report traction? So I was coming up with all the creative ways in the world to like report traction. Like We did some market research. And they're like, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, yeah, right, right. We're like, uh, okay, cool. I could see that. Um, and it's just been like this crazy journey of like, one, having to think about, well, where in this space can we fit? You know, for us, we realized institutional firms was probably not going to be our niche because they really do demand that traction. Um, Or at the very least, it's got to be like a cult brand or something like that, right? Um, But perhaps we can play better on the angel investor side or the, you know, direct mentor side who knows you as a person as opposed to, you know, the. so we ended up securing another... um, 200k that way so we raised about yes we 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 formally created the raise with our lawyer and we're doing a half mil raise right now so we've got about halfway there but congratulations (laughs) listen that was like a year and a half right of just like you know working with my mentor and getting him to understand what it is I'm trying to build and and now like branching outside of that but I think this more contextually because I feel like I'm I'm rambling now more contextually it's important for us to know that these are this is an option right it's an option because i think a lot of us start businesses we get really excited about it we're excited about it and we want everybody else to be excited about it and we end up having a lot of what i can what's like struggle businesses we don't we don't have access to to really make them what they really could be and then you hear the stats like oh black and brown businesses don't succeed. Is that really true? Or is it they're going up against another brand that has 5 million in the bank and can like overpower them in the market in terms of messaging? You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't have anything to do with the product. It's just the messaging. It's so, there's so many things. The access piece is, is crucial too. 
And yeah. you're exactly right. Like there's the other side of this that we don't talk about. But what we know is that even during the pandemic, it was more black businesses were the number one businesses to not mm-hmm. make it. And mm-hmm. because black businesses only had two to three months of runway capital. It's to- cash flow, cash flow. And understanding, there's the education piece, understanding what cash flow is, financial literacy, the importance Mm -hmm. of it, and how you have to leverage and extend it. And even as you think, you know, you're raised now and kind Mm -hmm. of what you're raising for, what you're raising against, congratulations on getting halfway there because you're right. Like it's it's so much harder for us. And this notion Mm -hmm. of proof of concept, proof of concept, you know, it's just it's, it's really something that we have to grapple with and that we have to figure out how do mm-hmm. we get to the other side of it. And I think the other thing is thinking about and what I'm really focused on is, is differentiated capital options. Even mm-hmm. when you talk about the grant programs, accelerator programs, right. you know, it doesn't always have to be I'm going to go get venture funding and give up. a huge Exactly. Because not everybody's ready for that. And even exactly. the calculated amount of what you're raising it's strategic and it's smart and it makes sense to get you where you need to be to the next round. So, I mean, congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank you. No, but I think it's to your point. It's like, how do you, how do you get that awareness for upfront? Not when you need it, like ahead of time. Right. Um, Cause it's too late when you need it (laughs) and (laughs) too late. And how do you start to build out, like you said, that network that's going to give you that real advice, but then also going to be fair. Because I think there's a level of lack of trust in this space too. And it's it's totally um, driven by real information, right? So when I say lack of trust, you think of perhaps shows like Shark Tank, right? Where they will give you the money, but they're going to ask you for 50% of your company. And it's like, no, like why, like, why would you think that's appropriate? You know what I'm saying? For like, uh, for a new brand. And so I think it's also not just saying, okay, here are the different options you can have. But if you do choose to go the venture route, here's a great place to start as far as what to put in your terms and how to, you know, who, who are the people you should be speaking to to help you build that out. I got lucky with my mentor. We're only giving up, I think, something like 10% in this round. And he was like, listen, I, he's been in venture a long time. He doesn't look like me. He is actually a Caucasian male. And he was like, listen, I know the numbers over here. I understand that um, at this stage, you a lot of people are going to be wanting to ask for this amount, and this, but I want to be very fair to you so that you can set yourself up for success later. So he was like, I'm not going to ask for all these ridiculous things. I'm going to, this is what it's going to look like. And so you have to have that other side of it too, right? It's like, if you don't know, next thing you know, you're signing away your whole thing. <laughs> you don't even know what happened. That is it. Fair, it's education aligning yourself with the right people. Yeah, exactly. And, and giving yourself room to grow, right? Because if you are going to take capital, however you take that up front, if it's non-dilutive, that's perfect. But if it is dilutive, how do you give yourself space to grow and have access to more equity for the next round if you should you need that, right? You don't want to cut yourself short that first time. Wow. That's it. And you don't want to cut yourself short because we're talking about longevity and sustainability. Exactly. This has been such a great, I I feel like we have to have part two. We're going to have part two when Flora launches. um, They are in pre-development, but we will have part two so that we can get further into the journey. You will have completed your raise, 
you'll be in market. So that so yes. so all for all of our listeners, we will have Dr. King back. And Dr. King, to close out the show, we always ask like, what's one brand that you are excited about? You, I think you guys are already checking this person out, but uh, I love Ron Robinson with Beauty Stuff. Uh, you too. I, oh yeah. my gosh, I'm going dinner with the both of you. I'll just be like trying to catch up between my chemist and my neuroscience friends. <laughs> Listen, I have been obsessed with skincare lately because, you know, I'm 35. So I'm like, oh, let me go ahead and uh, start paying attention. It's, I'm really late to that party. Um <laughs> But I was like, let me let me start caring about what I put on my face, and so his his products have been one of the key products that I've added in, especially being you know you have like hyperpigmentation, so like things that actually affect us more than more than other types of um, challenges. So yeah, I, I'm excited about his Beauty Stat product. You are so amazing. There's really nothing else to say. It's just fantastic. All of your accolades, your success, being rooted in education. It's just been an honor to be here with you, to hear your story, to inspire other women to go into STEM, to really look at their passion and how they can bring that to life in so many ways. So we can't wait for Flora. And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And thank you again to Dr. Natalie. This week, it's Ron Robinson, one of our absolute favorites, founder of Beautystat and also a fellow Rangers founder, studio founder, and you can follow Ron at Ron Robinson Cosmetic Chemist. Again, at Ron Robinson Cosmetic Chemist. He too is in science. So with that, I want to leave you with one thing from today's guest, and that is find your confidence. In order to be great, we have to grow our confidence. We have to be passionate. We have to love what we do in the words of Dr. King. So how will you grow in confidence? And with that, follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, associate producer Ariel Mancibo, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. And on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a mean old line media production. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.